Heather Hilda Darling on Radio Reverb 97.2 FM and DAB. The program is sponsored by Callaway's Estate Agents and I'm really excited today. I've got a lovely guest with me. We're not sitting together, we're sitting at distance, but I can still talk to her. So just think about this a minute. You know, we're coming up to winter and beautiful colours everywhere. The autumn colours are simply amazing. Um, and I have somebody who's very, very much into gardening and planting and design. So I'm hoping she's going to give me some really good tips as to how to look after my garden during the winter time, so that come the springtime, I have a beautiful burst of flowers and colour in my garden. So oh. I... <laughs> oh, there she is. So I'm going to introduce you to Rachel Guzzi. I hope I've pronounced that right. Um, so Rachel, welcome to the show. Let's talk property. And of course, as we know, during the lockdown, people were so reliant on their gardens and parks and maybe even their pot plants sometimes in house if they were stuck in the home. Is that right? Yes. Hello. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really, really excited. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. Good. So I'd like to find out a little bit more about you first, Rachel. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and who are you and all that sort of thing? Because I'm desperate yeah. to know. Yes, of course. Well, of course, I'm Rachel Guzzi and my business is Rachel Guzzi Garden and Planting Design. Um, I'm, I, we live, I live in Brighton with my husband, Mark, and my two gorgeous children and my two dogs. Um, I've been working in the industry for well over 20 years now, first starting in West London, which is where I lived before I came to the gorgeous city of Brighton. Um, and yeah, so we, we are garden and plant designers, but I also love horticulture and also gardening as well. So it's, it's the whole service really that we offer. So when you said you lived in London, does this make a difference to your gardening? I mean, is, is it a different soil in London to what we've got down here in Brighton? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does make a difference, maybe climate wise. Of course, we're on chalk here, whereas in London, it's probably much more clay. But I mean, I've lived here for nearly 17 years now so I'm very used to all the different soil and substrates and what you're working with here. I guess the plants are very similar in London and of course the microclimate's still pretty warm there because of all the buildings etc so it's very adaptable. So how long have you been in the business altogether? I think it's probably about 25 years now but I've always been a passionate gardener, even from when I was a little girl working in the garden with my grandparents and my mother. That's kind of where that inspiration came from. 
So your grandparents, that's wonderful to hear. Did they used to just like, did they set you out on weeding first or what was your first job in the garden? Yeah, they would mow, they would potter. They were great tomato and potato growers. They loved their greenhouse. We used to spend lots of time. I'd eat all their tomatoes in the glass house. It was just a joy to be out in the garden with them. It was their therapeutic, it was their hobby. They loved it. They were really passionate about it. Well, it's funny because my mum often tells me about her her father used to love growing geraniums. And whenever they went on holiday, he used to put them in the bath uh, with a little bit of water. And she hates geraniums to this day because I think they've got <laughs> of a bit of an odd smell to them sometimes. Uh, <laughs> quite pungent. I must have they been. are quite pungent. Interesting how he would put them in the bath because I know they like to be fairly dry. But there you go. He, he <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. So um, you've been in the industry a long time. Um, how many changes have you seen? Has it changed or do people still go out and weed the same as they always did? Do they still mow the grass the same way they always did? What, what are the main things that you've noticed? I think within the gardening, gardening and design industry and horticulture, I mean, there's, it's always changing. There's different trends, there's new tools, there's different fashions. I think that's why I love it so much. I guess technology has changed, thinking about design very much with CGI's, 3D's, being able to give clients, show clients the image, the vision of the garden. Um, is really, really helpful. It's a really helpful tool when it comes down to design. I guess there's all sorts of changes out, out in the garden from different tools. But I mean, I think it's it's still so wholesome, isn't it? When you're in the garden, you are using the hoe. You're still using, using the garden fork. You're still encouraging birds into the garden. So I don't think that's changed. It's getting your hands in the soil, getting your hands dirty. Um, which really is, you know, it's great to be outside. So I think uh, lots of changes. That's why I love it so much. It's really challenging and you're learning all the time as well. I think one of the things that I've noticed is there's a lot more research into, say, how many butterflies, how many bees <laughs> are in the garden, um, how many birds are around. Has that changed the way you approach your garden design when you hear about all these research programmes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're always thinking of sustainability. We're always trying to encourage wildlife into the garden. I think the knowledge and the education with ecosystems, biodiversity, all that sort of stuff is, is really good. And absolutely, that's always at the forefront of our mind. Yes, we want a garden to look aesthetically beautiful, but actually it's about that wildness as well. It's about encouraging the wildlife into the garden, getting out, de-stressing and being with nature so that's always at the forefront of one's design mind I think yes. I can already sense your passion for what you do would you say that somebody uh, would have already felt this passion like yourself from an early age or they've been encouraged by family and friends to get involved with it or can it sometimes come at a later stage in life? That's a really good question. I think both. It can come at any stage. And I think if you get it and you are passionate about it, it's wonderful. You're really, you're super lucky. I think for me, even though I've been passionate and into the garden ever since I was a young child, the turning point for me, I think, was in 1999 when, um, sadly, we lost our first daughter just after she was born. And the grieving process 
and the healing process took me, as well as other forms of support, of course, out into my small town garden. We lived in Ealing at the time and it really, really helped me and it got me through a very, very difficult period. And that was the turning point for me where I thought, you know what, I want to do this as a career. I want the loss of my daughter Scarlett and the healing process and this wonderful experience that I've had in the garden for a good year or two to actually help other people. So that's kind of what motivated me to do it as well. So yes, in answer to your question, all sorts of things can happen to us in life. And I think, yeah, gardening can come at any any stage and it's it's wonderful. And I think this is possibly why some schools are now introducing small gardens, aren't they, to well, I suppose it's the curriculum, but I can remember as a child, we used to live up in Kilmarnock and we lived in this brand new bungalow. And I think me and my sister were bickering one day and my dad said, come on, you two, I'm going to give you something to do, you know. So <laughs> he, he made us dig over this tiny plot, a tiny rectangular plot. But the, the exciting bit was when he took us to go and get the plants that we could plant and then we saw them flowering, etc. I'm still waiting for my second taste of gardening to come. It's not something that I sort of enjoy the demolition side. I love chopping down trees and I love deadheading flowers. I'm not particularly good or I'm not particularly interested in the planting but I do love going to like garden centres and the National mm. Trust etc. Do you think this is where you know a lot of money's been spent on garden centres mm. over the last couple of years there's some superb ones here in Sussex do, do you not you do not agree I mean there's there's I, I mm. love the one up the A24 at Dial Post because now they've expanded that and you pick up some really good ideas from the garden centres. So would you suggest that you start out with a plan for your garden? Yes, I guess if you're looking to redesign your garden or transform it or rejuvenate it, I think it's a good idea to go outside into your garden, measure the garden, look at the where the sun is, do a bit of sun mapping, look at where you think you'd like to sit. Is there enough privacy? Is there a path? Is there a patio? Is there a terrace area? Is there enough planting? And also work with the verticals and the horizontals and the borrowed views from your neighbouring properties and gardens. So there's quite a lot that goes into redesigning a garden. But I think if you write a list and you sort of start a maybe a mood board, putting some images together, looking through gardening books. And I think you're right. You know, if you go to some garden centres, there's some fabulous garden centres out there. And I do think they're really inspiring. I think they're inspiring for all ages. They can be a little bit expensive, um, you know, in comparison to plant nurseries, the nursery, you know, the growers, but they're very adaptable. I think, you know, they're retail, they're great places to go. And of course they're open in the winter. You can go into a, a lovely garden centre and be inspired all year round. And you can go and have a cup of tea. Exactly. I was going to say cup of tea and oh. cake. That's the best bit. <laughs> tea and cake really good. And of course you always, you know, tea and cake in the garden when you're gardening is also really good. So That's right. So we're all almost inundated with gardening programmes, etc. Do yes. you have any favourite ones and why? I think my favourite gardening show has to be Gardener's World. I used to watch it, the good old Percy Thrower, when I was a, a little girl. Who doesn't love watching Monty Don? I mean, he is absolutely great. I think that's my favourite. It's really informative. It's super relatable to anybody. Uh, it's really popular. 
There's been lots of design shows in the last few years. Are they giving the right message through the industry? I think sometimes you can maybe misinterpret those garden design shows. I don't think the budgets are realistic, so maybe that needs to change. So I'd say at the moment, Gardener's World is probably my favourite. Friday night, glass of wine or a cup of tea, Monty Don, fantastic. <laughs> And obviously we've had, we had the Royal, uh, it was a Ch Chelsea show, wasn't it? Not yes. long ago. Yes, and it was the, of course, September and not May. That's right. So have you ever been along to one of those shows? Yes, I try to go every year. I was lucky enough this year to have a very good friend who designed and created um, an NHS garden, the Tribute NHS Garden, uh, the lovely Naomi Ferret-Cohen. She won a silver gilt. Um, I think it was a silver gilt. It might be a silver, actually. But we also, Mark and I, my husband, who actually helps me um, now in the business, we both went and volunteered on her garden for a couple of hours. What an honour. Beautiful, beautiful garden. Lots of nurses were coming to chat to us, some ambulancemen, some paramedics. Brilliant experience. Of course, Chelsea is the creme de la creme of the gardening world, but it is super inspiring. You know, if you get the opportunity to go to it, as well as Hampton Court, that's a really good show as well. So I always love to go to the gardening shows because it keeps you up with the trends. You're looking at what top designers are doing. It's innovative, creative. It's a great day out as well. It's brilliant. I've been to um, Hampton Court once and had a thoroughly good time there uh, just to see the sort of, what are they, the little chalets that they put in the garden rather mm. than just a standard wooden mm. shed uh, where you can really relax, etc. And then all the garden designs, the sunken gardens, uh, the, the, the colours that they use, the where they mm. use water, it's not just like a pond sometimes oh. they make it like a beach and all the design ideas that you can get you can't necessarily transfer them directly to your own garden but at least they're there to give you some ideas and as you say colors change I, I presume mm. flowers and favorite bushes and favorite trees change from mm, year to year depending where do you get your inspiration from then well, I would say, obviously, all the beautiful gardens, and we're very lucky to have many of those, aren't we, in Sussex and, you know, out Surrey and towards London and obviously in the UK. I, I actually do quite a lot of CPD, so I'm always learning. Um, magazines, literature, you know, speakers, talks, everything really, and also working in the industry, knowing contractors, other designers. In fact, I did want to say it's a, it is a very nurturing industry. When you're training to be a garden designer, if you need any help, everybody is very, very supportive. It's a lovely industry to be in. So yeah, we all kind of gel from one another and you're learning all the time. So there's lots of different ways of, of learning and being inspired, but the shows are really good. There's also lots of landscaping shows. There's one coming up in London quite soon. I think it's at the XL Centre, actually it's next week and um, it's the Pro Landscaper Show. That's really good. So you get lots of different supplies, whether you're looking for decking or paving from different plants to ju just everything, garden, furniture, anything and everything that you would need to go into a garden. So again, it gives you a whole insight into new products, new materials. And so to, to carry on and to continue to, to go to things like that is really good. 
Now, I did Latin A level many, many years oh. ago. I know, I know. <laughs> Hannibal tra traipsing over the Alps with his elephants and all that. But how on earth do you remember all the names of plants in Latin? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I guess the best way to do it is learn in Latin first because there are so many different common names and that can become quite confusing. I guess if you're passionate and you want to remember them, you do. Also working with the plants, seeing them all the time. So I guess if you were going into the industry and you wanted to learn plant names, then you know, you've got the labels on those plants. Let's say you're working in a garden center and it's, re it's repetitiveness, isn't it? Mm. Um, so the pronunciation, in fact, I do have a really good little book, which is a pronunciation book. And sometimes I do have to look at it. Oh my goodness, if I pronounce that properly, because you do hear other designers, other people in the industry, maybe pronounce a plant in a different way to you are. And that happens a lot as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's just something that you learn. Radio Reverb. Making music night and day. Oh, 97.2 FM. Well, I've just taken a tip from that. My husband always cuts the label off the plant, so I'm going to have to stop him oh. doing that. It's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? Leave yeah. the label on it so I know what to call it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, when you're pronouncing them, you've got to say it with confidence, and it's it's fine. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the trouble is, if you come to dahlias, there are so many different kinds of dahlias as well, and, you know, yes. remembering all the names there, absolutely. Oh, my goodness, mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, so if you what part do you like most of the uh, design and planting is it the design element or is it the I suppose in a sense it's convincing or recommending to your clients what sort of garden they would like how does it work if you go to a new client and they say I want you to give me a garden design just talk me through the process so that they end up with what they think they want but you actually <laughs> might might introduce yeah. a few other elements that they actually didn't know they wanted absolutely well at first of course we'll have a chat on on the phone or maybe on zoom like like this we're doing at the moment um, and then I'd probably book a consultation and I'd go round and we'd walk around the garden and I'd listen to how they're using the garden we'd look at all the different plants we'd talk through their dream garden their ideas of what they'd like to do in the garden you know do they have a family do they want to eat outside do they want a swimming pool do they want to have a fire pit are they overlooked you know practical elements how do you get from A to B gardens should have intrigue you know what can we what can we put in the garden can we zone it what do we want to do you know how big is it so we just go through all of that and then we sit down maybe look at some books look at my website um some some visuals on on the computer and then just just you know ideas start flowing really and then after that i would normally put together um, a design proposal fee outlining the services that we'd offer um, and then we would hopefully they'd appoint us and then we would start designing the garden so we usually start with doing a master plan and that's the general layout if you like the general arrangement of the garden and that's usually 2d so you can see how you're going to get from your back door or your kitchen to 
maybe the glass house or the seating area or the pond or the terrace or the borders. Um, and then after that, it, once that's evolved and maybe we've made a couple of amendments and they, they love the, the concept, the design, the scheme, the feel of it, um, we would then go on to do the detailing. And that would be really, how's the garden going to be built? What materials are we going to use? We'd always share that with them as well. We'd show them samples. Are we going to use limestone, natural paving, sandstone? Do you like the idea of using a man-made material, maybe porcelain? Are we going to introduce gravel in the garden? Will that be practical? Do you have cats? Will it be a cat litter area? All that kind of stuff. So all those choices, all those decisions, and it's teamwork. It's their garden and that's super important for me as well. I'm not designing a garden for me, it's all about them. Also longevity, how long will this garden last? You know, if you've got young children and you're going to spend a certain amount on this garden, in 10 years, if you're still in the house or, or even five years and you've got your, your family are growing, how will that garden work for you? Will it adapt to your teenagers when you're teenagers or you want to get away from each other? So it's all that kind of stuff, really. But it's the detailing and then the scope of work so we can communicate the build to, to the contractor so that the actual design can be realised. So it's as much communication, as much detail as possible. We're all into that package so that everybody knows where they are. Detail, detail, detail. So from construction detail to planting plans, to schemes, color palettes, samples, circulation, transition, flow, the whole thing. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> are, are, are people surprised at the depth of detail that you're looking for? I mean, supposing myself, I'd probably say to you, oh, right, I want a bit of lawn and I want a bit of path so I can get from the back of the house to the garage. And you'd be going, uh-oh, not my typical client. No, this lady needs a little bit of help here. Um, and my one bugbear is uh, dustbins, of course, because we've all got several dustbins now. Do you get people asking to hide the bins somewhere or what do you do with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's all about disguising those unsightly views or elements in a garden, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, you can house them, of course, you can get um, storage for them, but you can also cleverly use planting. Um, where would you site them in the garden? Is it practical? Do you want to walk right to the end of your garden with your bin or do you want it to be closer? In Brighton, so many gardens are on hills, aren't they? And there's lots of different tiers and terraces. So it's all about not just how the garden looks, but the practicalities of it. Is it easy to use as well? Is it safe? Are there any trip hazards? All that sort of stuff. You're listening to Heather Hilda Darling on Let's Talk Property. And my guest today is Rachel Gozi. And we're talking about planting and design and I'm absolutely fascinated because Rachel obviously has a passion for this and it's not something that really makes me <laughs> excited but I'm actually getting quite excited now I look after my cacti very very well actually Rachel <laughs> oh good well that's a different subject altogether isn't it because yeah they're, they're yeah. a very plant but uh, I had over a hundred about two years ago I was collecting them for a while they're so interesting, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, they're, they're a bit really prickly, cool. though. A bit prickly. Yeah, yeah, but they have the most amazing flowers, don't they, as well? They and do. if you can get them to flower, they're really fabulous. Yeah, they absolutely are. So 
if somebody was um, thinking about gardening, you'd suggest that they do the same as you do, look at the TV programmes, look at magazines. I'm sure there are probably monthly magazines that come out, obviously go to your website, look at different plans, just think about colours they like, etc. Supposing they've only got a tiny balcony, what can you do on balconies to actually get that feel that you're surrounded by greenery and plants to get that feel good factor? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, as an ex-Londoner and now a Brightonian, I think I'm called, there are so many balconies, aren't there, in London and in Brighton. You know, I drive around, I walk around sometimes and I think, oh my God, there's so much potential. Mm. But people don't, don't spruce them up. And I think we all should spruce up our balconies with window boxes, etc. But I think you could use, definitely work with the verticals. Um, sometimes balconies can be windy. Um, so, and also you've got to, obviously from a structural point of view, just check out that structurally they're sound to take pots and the weight and everything. But I think if I was designing a balcony, and I have designed quite a few and a couple of roof terraces actually um, in, Kent, in the Kemp Town area, I would be working with mainly evergreen plants. So you're thinking about leaf shape, texture, glossy, plants that look good all year round. Um, the bigger the pot, the less watering, the less drying out lifting the pot off the material on the floor, aerating it with a little pot feet, you know, the pot feet that you can buy. Um, so yeah, I think more so structure, evergreen, leaf texture, rather than trying to use annuals, plants that you've got to constantly change. Maybe in the summertime or in the spring, you can then bring in um, lasagna layering bulbs you can you can do that as well but I think if you work with a patio and, or a small patio or a balcony and you're using evergreens with some there's so many gorgeous lightweight pots out there they're going to look good all year round. You, you, you just hit on something there the different types of pots you know you go into the garden centres and mm. you've got the, the terracotta pots all I mean do you like using pots in garden design? I love using pots. I think pots are wonderful. They bring so much interest to a terrace. I mean, imagine a terrace or a patio or a decking area without pots. Um, you, you must have void in a garden. You must have space, of course, to circulate around it. But I think pots just bring another dimension. They're very, very interesting. And also, if you can't maybe reach down and you can't tend to to, to borders that are low on the ground. You know, pot gardening or raised planters, if you like, are ideal because of course they they can be at waist height, they're fairly easy to manage. And if you've got a small space, they're brilliant. And of course you can grow vegetables, salads, all sorts of food that you can eat in pots, herbs. So yeah, you've got so many options. Well, you've just answered my question actually, because I was going to ask you, would you ever mix, um, garden plants with vegetables on a patio in a pot so you know when you think about even the different colors of tomatoes that you can get now you can get the yellow ones the orangey ones the little red ones the bigger one I don't know all the names of them to be honest but those backed up against some lovely shrubs in the right orientation on the patio or the balcony mm could look superb couldn't they I mean a lot of people grow chilies uh, for the colour and and to use them so yes absolutely I mean of course you're you're normally growing your salads and your tomatoes and your chilies etc 
you're, you're sowing those seeds or buying those small seedlings in the spring from garden centers or whatever. And then you're growing those on because of course you need the sun uh, to, to promote the, um, the fruit and the vegetables. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. You can, you could have, you could have your core plants, which are your evergreens and your structure. Um, of course, you can also have trees on, on a balcony. Small trees are really cool. Um, but you can also use vertical planters as well. You know, those lovely little pocket planting. Uh, they're usually sort of black or green and then they have these tiny little pockets and you can also grow herbs and vegetables, um, salads in those as well. So it's really good to use the verticals. But yes, I think that you could definitely have a pot and you could have tomato, you could have a chilli and then you could put some pretty flowers in it as well. I think that's lovely because you're attracting the pollinators. It looks almost just quite frivolous, doesn't it? And quite pretty. So yeah, I think it's lovely to mix it up. I mean, I'm quite interested in the concept of winter gardens. You know, a lot of big cities have winter gardens. I don't mm -hmm. really know the history behind them. I probably should have looked at it. But in wintertime, I guess, a lot of people are prepping their garden for the springtime and they can look a little bit bare and a bit, you know. Your suggestion of planting evergreens overcomes that problem, doesn't it? And I know, for example, in Spain, they plant a lot of poinsettias in gardens in, in the winter. The temperatures do drop at night time. Is that something that could catch on over here? Just grow a row of poinsettias rather than putting it in the in by the Christmas tree. And then, of course, all the leaves have dropped by the third week of <laughs> January. <laughs> and then no. goodness only knows, I think you're supposed to put them in a dark place till the following year. But mine never survived. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not quite sure they'd be hardy enough and resilient enough for the winter here. But most certainly, I, when I when I think of winter gardens, you know, you're thinking structure. I mean, you can yes, of course, evergreens. They're the foil. They're they're the the background of our gardens as well. But deciduous plants also are just so beautiful. So let's let's think about the silver birch that most of us know, you know, stunning plant. It loses all its leaves in the autumn, but it's got this most incredible white, vibrant bark all through the winter. So you've got that structure. So put three or five of those in your garden or even just one, you know, you've got that, put a light, a little light underneath it or a lantern. And it's just amazing. So of course you can have structure in the garden. You know, you can walk through the garden in the winter time. And I think as long as you're, you've got some evergreens, you've got some structure. I think, I think gardens are beautiful in the winter. Come the autumn time, when you're thinking about putting your garden to bed, I guess a lot of people in this country might not enter into the garden in the winter, but I think that's a mistake. I think we need to be getting outside in all weathers, um, even if we're just sitting on a bench for half an hour in our own garden or in the park, having a cup of tea and looking at how the season has changed. Because come winter, we're kind of slowing down a little bit more, aren't we? Well, we're supposed to be, I think. <laughs> um, the nights are drawing in the sunlight is lower, you know, it's all that sort of thing. And I just think, yeah, try and get out into the garden as much as you can. You know, you can start sweeping up the leaves. You can leave little piles for hibernating wildlife or insects. There's so much you can do in the garden and you can be preparing. If you're lucky enough to have a potting shed, you can be preparing and sewing or a glass house 
for next year as well. So all seasons. Yeah, when you were talking about the silver birch, an image sort of came into my mind of a bare tree. But when mm. you think you can hang all these little bird feeders from mm. them and maybe some Christmas lights, some Christmas baubles, you still get the colour there and the uh, the interest out on the tree, even if mm. it's got no leaves on it. So do you have a favourite season for gardening? Mm. I mean, I guess it would have to be spring, obviously, because everything is starting to burst open and emerge and you've got that sense of excitement. It's getting warmer, etc. But I do really love autumn in the garden. The dew on the grass, you know, the frosts that are starting to come. The, the different light levels, the leaf fall, that crisp, lovely, bright autumnal day. And if you get out into the garden and you're wrapped up, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And there are lots of things that you can do. You know, that last weed that you can do, maybe wrapping your ferns and putting them to bed. Maybe you could get out and clean your terrace, you know, your patio, your stone, because, of course, that's, you know, maintenance is a massive part of keeping a garden looking gorgeous all year round. I love the autumn as well, but I love all the seasons. <laughs> <laughs> now, gardening is actually quite, um, it's actually a lot of exercise, isn't it? So yeah. if you're lifting heavy soil with spades or forks or you're on your knees, mm. do you actually have to do exercises before you go out there to warm up, you know, before you do all the bending and back breaking stuff? Or would yeah, you recommend I mean it? Yeah, I would recommend yoga or stretching, yoga. of course. Yeah. <laughs> in the garden, hopefully. In the garden. I think every landscaper, tree surgeon, contractor, builder should practice yoga because it's a really hard job. I mean, you know, for me, um, I, I am very hands-on, but yeah, of course I get help, you know, for tree planting, for lifting, all that sort of stuff. I think it's about looking after yourself, definitely stretching, um, you know, it is very difficult. I mean, working with contractors and seeing them work through the wet, damp, cold, you know, it's a hard job. It really is. So, yeah, taking care of yourself. But I would always encourage yoga. I think there's a new career there for you, Rachel, them doing all the yoga classes with your contractors and everything. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So if I wanted to, if I wanted a garden design, but I said to you, I don't like gardening very much. I really want it to maintain itself. Where would I start with that? I don't think there's any such garden as a no maintenance garden. It's, it's a low maintenance that you're looking for, I suppose. That's a difficult one in that I often see lots of gardens that have, have maybe too much hard landscaping. So, you know, you might have deck, terrace, and then a really small proportion of maybe lawn and then a smaller proportion of, of planting. I suppose it's about working out what you're going to do in the garden, how much time you've got to spend. Can you maybe afford to get a little bit of help? Can you bring in a gardener, even if it's twice a year, just to help you in the garden with the planting borders, etc. Maybe more evergreen, so there's not as much pruning, there's not as much leaf fall, that sort of thing, really. Certainly less herbaceous borders. I mean, herbaceous borders are super pretty, aren't they? They're quintessential English garden. But 
you know, they're, they're higher maintenance. So it's just thinking about the practicalities and the choice, I guess, of what you're putting into the garden to have less maintenance, I suppose. A lot of people nowadays expect the garden to be almost part of their home. Mm. Obviously, with things like bifold doors, patio doors that you can open wide and then just gaze out over your lawn. Do you mm. take that into consideration when you're looking at somebody's garden? Because if I'm sat, say, in my lounge and I'm just looking out across the garden, there'll be certain things that I want to see. I'm sure you covered all of this when you were talking earlier about the design, the, the areas they want. But does it come as a surprise to people sometimes that they can actually get enjoyment of their garden from inside the house as well as outside the house? Yes, absolutely. I think it's important to work with what's going on inside, maybe colours, tones, personality, and of course, the outlook. But the outside, the exterior, it's a very different environment, isn't it? Because we've got the weather. So I don't think it's the right, right thing to say to people that your outdoor your outdoor space is an outdoor room because then maybe they would associate it with being, well, it's gonna keep as clean and as beautiful as the inside. But as a garden designer, we'd always try to maybe blend and flow it through, but be realistic about how that's going to the longevity and how, how, how you need to look after it as well outside. But it is always good. I mean, I love nosing around people's houses. So, you know, if you were my client, I would say, okay, Heather, can you show me around? But it's also getting to know you. You know, what are your passions? What are your loves? Do you love traveling? What's your furniture? What are your colors? What do you do as a job? So I'm getting to kind of know you and how the garden that I'm going to design for you will fit and you'll love it. Um, that's what it's all about. For me, leaving that completed garden, I mean, I always go back and I try to keep relationships up with clients so that I can pop in at least a couple of times a year, just to see how the garden is evolving and establishing. Because a garden is for life, isn't it? And mm. it's, it's constant. So it's very different to having a kitchen fitted. A kitchen sits, doesn't it? I mean, I know you've got to clean it and look after and it's super useful, but a garden is a living place. It's living organisms. And so therefore it's forever changing and evolving. So it's a very different space to design. Board, sister. Radio well, we nearly had an emergency at the weekend because my husband was out doing his bit in the garden and um, we used to have a yucca plant inside Ooh. in the house <laughs> and uh, we actually planted it outside because we'd seen them growing in some of the Mediterranean countries mm. and of course quite inadvertently he turned around nearly got the spike in his eye um which oh. left a nasty bruise and oh, one of no. my friends said to me get rid of that plant straight away it's dangerous the ends are poisonous I don't know about that would you have a have a yucca in your garden Rachel I have been attacked by many <laughs> a yucca, uh, yeah and, uh, many a as well um which is a palm no, I wouldn't because I've got two dogs. I wouldn't encourage or specify um, it either with for a family with young children. But, you know, they have their place in a garden. So let's take a front garden, let's say in Saltdean or Brighton. 
a couple that don't have children and don't have a dog and actually you know maybe there's a little bit of gravel outside or as you say it's a mediterranean garden then i think it could work i think they're really cool they're super architectural they're, they're gorgeous but i wouldn't have have one in my garden no no exactly and i think this is it where the influence comes from various countries around yeah. the world i'm sure a lot of us would recognize the japanese garden with the uh, the you know the stones and then where it i don't know i think it's a rake that they pull through it and leave these mm -hmm. lovely patterns mm -hmm. and then you've got the you know the rock gardens i mean mm -hmm. are rock gardens still still a favorite with with your clients or not um yeah I guess it's more boulders so a larger rock I think rockeries have their place but maybe a bit more of a modern take so maybe a larger boulder in fact my front garden that we redesigned and we built and planted this year has got three boulders in it and they come from Dorset I did want I did go to um Horsham um, to, to see if I could source some rock from Horsham, uh, but there wasn't any really available at the time. So yeah, I, I think certainly rock gardens, you know, they're, they're really cool. And I think if you choose the right planting, then they work really well. But it, it's quite different to the rockeries that we kind of know from the 70s or the 80s. But again, you know, trends, fashions. And do you know what? I'm not judging here. If you, if you want a rockery in your garden, and it gives you pleasure, then have it. You know, we're all different and yeah, yeah whatever, really. Yeah. So at the beginning of the show, we were talking about, you know, we noticed that people have wanted gardens now to get outside in case, hopefully, fingers crossed, there isn't another lockdown, mm -hmm. just for people to escape. My question to you is, would you suggest a, a pool, a fountain or or something with water there? Does that have a calming effect on people when mm. they're perhaps a bit stressed, etc.? Or are they hard to maintain as well? No, I don't think water features are hard to maintain at all. Uh, they can be very competitively priced. You know, you can buy them for as little as probably about £40. Uh, you can get them from garden centres and there's loads of options and variations. Gosh, there's so, so many options to choose from online as well. I love water in a garden. Sometimes the, the sound of it can be a little bit overwhelming. And actually, I used to have this gorgeous copper tank water feature, um, but it did used to make me want to go to the toilet quite regularly. So <laughs> oh, we don't want that. <laughs> You don't want that. But, you know, well, I don't know. We know what to put behind the evergreens now at the bottom of the garden, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. But I mean, even just having a simple bowl of water, just still water, maybe growing a lily in it and encouraging, you know, frogs or wildlife or even the birds just to drink. It's, it's lovely. And also, don't forget, you do get the reflections of the sky or any plants that you've got above it. So I think it's really important to have water in a garden. Yeah, I always specify water. I'll always talk about having water yeah. of some form or shape in a garden, yeah. No, I agree with you. I love bird baths. I mean, we get the mm. most delightful birds that visit our garden and obviously we put out the nuts and all the bird mm. feed for them as well. And I, I got some gorgeous photographs of some of the birds visiting us. So I, I just think, again, the designs there are magnificent. You can mm. get small ones, ornate ones. So I'm sure they would fit in any garden. Any award, Rachel? Have you, uh, you know, have you taken part in any of the awards? 
I haven't actually taken part in any awards at the moment. I mean, it's something that I do think about and I always seem to be so busy or I've got my head in other things that I haven't taken the time to actually enter yet. But I was thinking about entering Pro Landscaper this year and then I didn't in the end. So it's possibly something for the future. I think it would be a lovely thing to do and you'd feel really proud of yourself and it would be a great experience. I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, I think awards and, and all those celebrations of what we do and all those skill sets, I think, I think they're really worthwhile. So it's definitely something for the future, I think. They're a lot of hard work, aren't they? The preparation you have to put into them alongside, yeah. especially if you've got clients at the same time, you know, you're mm. trying to do all that all at once. And it, it is incredibly rewarding. And I think that's why I love seeing, you know, the surprise on people's faces at the Hampton Courts and the Chelsea's yeah. when they win particular prizes. They're just it's just a recognition of the work that they've put in. Now, Absolutely. what would you recommend? Three things that you'd recommend if somebody wanted to go into garden design. Have you got sort of three things on the tip of your tongue there? Yes, I have. Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, choose the best, uh, most affordable course, I guess, that you, you can afford. Um, there are lots of different design courses out there. So do your research and yeah, enroll on the best course possible. I think that you really do need to accept that it does take a long time to become a practicing garden designer and there are a lot of different skill sets to be a practicing garden designer um, so I think also getting some hands-on experience is, is really important so get out there get some experience ask for advice train as much as you can it's a fantastic jo job but it, it does take time to train and you know you're out there on site as well with the contractor. So you need to know what's going on, not just above ground, but underneath as well. And of course that does come with experience and you're, you know, I'm learning all the time. I can't believe it. We're, we're nearly out of time again. Where oh, does the time what? go? Where I know, I, know. I, know. I had so many questions to ask you actually. There's oh one God. here that I'm going to ask you. So which three gardening tools couldn't you do without Rachel? Oh, okay. So firstly, I couldn't do without my trusty trug. Your trug, so, right. Trug. I mean, they have so many uses from watering, you can turn it into a watering can, to maybe even sitting in it, to putting your, <laughs> to putting your waste in it, to carrying around plants in it, to putting your dog in it. I mean, you name it, your lunch. I couldn't do without my trusty trug. And then I particularly love the Wolfgarten tool system and I'm always telling my clients about this so it's a multi-tool system so you can either have a short handle or a long handle and it's super lightweight so it's really easy to use and then it's an interchangeable system so you can have a rake a hoe a broom a scarifier it's wonderful and they're really good value and they also do some small little tools that uh, that you adapt onto the handle that you, you change. And they're quite small, so they're really good for weeding and clearing out planting borders. So I don't go anywhere without those. So they're my favourites. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So was that two or three? I suppose because that's a multi-tool system it's that counts for more than three. Yes, yes. I, I think I think that's my three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful um now then 
just imagine, Rachel, that tomorrow you weren't expecting this, but you wake up as the new Charlie Dimmock or Alan Titchmarsh of a new daytime gardening programme. What would your top three topics be to encourage more of us to take up gardening? Mm. Well, apart from the physical and mental health, you know, um, benefits, of course, that goes without saying, I think I'd probably talk about growing your own food. So having any area in the garden to try potatoes, grow salad, because that does get people outside. And there's nothing really more rewarding than sowing that little seed and then watching it grow over that season and then turn into something that you can harvest and put on your plate. It's, it's, it's wonderful. So I think I'd talk about that. Again, I would go back to introducing water into the garden because as you were saying earlier, it's, it's really calming, it's peaceful, it's very therapeutic, it attracts wildlife and every garden I think should have water. So I would be discussing that. And also wildlife. Can, you know, can we get out into the garden and encourage the birds? Can we add some trees into the garden? Maybe, you know, crab apple or fruit trees, you know, to not only for us, but also to encourage pollinators um, and to give that little bit back to nature. Because I think when we do that, we recoup so much from it and it's, it's really healing as well. So I think a garden should, yes, of course, as a garden designer, it's aesthetically, you want it to look beautiful, but it's all about how you feel in the garden. It's exceptionally emotive, emotional, um, how you feel in a garden. And for me, that, that sums it up really. Wildlife, water, growing, nurturing, and, and how you're feeling outside. So just to finish, just remind me why you love living and working in this industry because I've I've got a lot of your passion over the last uh, <laughs> seriously you know I'm thinking why aren't you doing this Heather um I mean apart from the three crops of potato that we've done over the last three years that all seem to have had blight on them I don't know what we're doing wrong but never mind I'm sure at some point they will come right so just explain again why you live and love living and working in this industry mm. well of course I love being outside you know I'd much rather be outside I mean I spend a lot of time on the computer of course but I love being outside I love the sky I love being in a garden and I love nature and also I love infusing and motivating my clients and working with them to, to get that passion as well and to, to, to encourage them outside. And actually I'm so lucky because, you know, not only do I work with some lovely clients, but I work with other contractors and tree surgeons or horticulturists, you know, I'm visiting nurseries and also the industry. It's a really exciting industry. You know, it's changing all the time. You're always learning. So you're, you're always stimulated. Every day is different. And I love that. I love it. I feel really, really lucky to do my job and I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, I can sort of imagine you in a barber coat and wellies at the moment with thick socks on because it's so <laughs> cold. But <laughs> clearly a lot of your work um, involves the design aspects. You spoke earlier about technology. Um, mm. So on your website, for example, what sort of information do you give to clients or just just give me your website address for the moment and then we'll see what sort of things you put on your website. What's your yeah, website? okay. 
Yes, of course. So, um, so it's rachelguzzi.com. That's my website. I generally post, I, I post quite a lot on Instagram. I quite like Instagram because it's quick, it's easy, it's really adaptable and it's super, it's really popular as well. And I think visually it's, it's very useful. So I'm on Instagram as Rachel Goosey Gardens. If you go to my website, you'll see quite a few gardens. It tells you a little bit about me and my training my history, my passion. Um, I think with Mark, my partner, coming on board in the last couple of years, because he's recently been training at the London College of Garden Design at Kew Gardens, and he studied in construction drawing. So how to draw, how to build that garden, how to communicate that detailing, if you like, to the contractors. So he's come on board and he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience in marketing, art, creation, um, graphic design. So he's, great on the computer so he will also help with all those visuals um, which again you know creates the lovely sort of vision and image and um, master plan etc so you can see all of that on my website and it gives you a really good idea about what we do and and how how, how much we love what we do that's wonderful really it's been fascinating talking to you rachel i i i was beginning to think my goodness i could go on for hours and hours and hours oh, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know and and around the uk there are so many different aspects of with our, as you said earlier you know the climates the the soil mm -hmm. the uh the orientation whether we're east coast west coast north south etc and then all the influences that come from people traveling and seeing things that they love i mean we found a couple of um plants in our uh, garden tubs the other day and i said to bob what on earth are they and we couldn't remember and then we remembered <laughs> They were Australian plants. I don't know how they got here, but they were. They were enormous because, of course, in Australia, which is where our daughter lives, our youngest daughter, they have the most amazing plants, completely different to over mm. here. And that was quite exciting, finding something a little bit different. So I'm going to have, a, have to have a word with Bob about the yucca plant, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few other unknowns in my garden, but actually, if I need to know, I now know where to come. So thank you Absolutely. so much for sharing so much with us today, Rachel. It's been delightful speaking oh. to you. And uh, well, all the best with the winter gardening. That's all I can say. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been lovely, really lovely to chat to you. Thank you, Rachel. Have a good day. So you've been listening to Heather Hilda Darling speaking to guest Rachel Gozy of God Design. Sorry, I, I've got to get this right. Garden and planting design today. <laughs> and obviously you'll be able to hear this on podcast again uh, coming soon. So if you've missed anything, please go to Rachel's website um, or find her on Instagram. And thank you for joining me. Until next time. Bye for now.